It's a new year, so I'm going to start off with something that maybe we all know, but maybe we don't all know. Um, generally, in January every year, I try to cover this amazingly thick and somewhat dense book in like uh, 20 minutes here and there. And I don't always do the best job. In fact, um, not too many summers ago, I went to Ashland to see, um, you know, the Shakespeare plays there. And they put on the, well, it wasn't written by Shakespeare, but it was like Shakespeare's complete works in one play. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? It's an amazing play. And so I feel a little bit like that. But today I feel totally confident about because today we're going to talk about the very first chapter of the Science of Mind textbook, and it's on my absolute favorite subject, which is God itself. I have no trouble with that. We'll see how the rest of it goes. Keep coming back. We'll see if I can manage to cover the rest of the book in the next three weeks. All right, so God. Where do we start with God? Well, one of the places I want to start in this lovely book actually is the foreword by Gene Houston, because uh, it gives the promise, if you will. You know, it, did you know that every good book has a promise? Sometimes it's on the, the dust jacket on the back. Even if it's an adventure story, maybe it's on the inside front cover. It, you know, it kind of tells you what you're in store for, what you can expect. Well, this one is no different. And Jean Houston writes a lovely foreword. She writes, this is a book for the ages. It contains the distilled wisdom of many eras, many cultures, and one great soul. To read it is to be charged in the very atmosphere of change, to enter into partnership with God, to relearn the laws of co-creation. It is perhaps one of the most potent and influential, influential books of the 20th century, and yet it generally appears in no compendium of great books. Its words have inspired millions, seeded the growth of spiritually innovative churches and philosophies, and yet no university places it in its curriculum. Perhaps this is as it should be, for it is the hidden masterpiece which much, must be discovered only when one is ready. And then she concludes her introduction this way. She says, for the first time in human history, we may be required as a species to extend ourselves into radically new ways of being. The tasks that are now ours, the task of virtual creation, compel the revolution in consciousness that tells us we are part of the great unfolding of spirit as flesh. These are the times, we are the people, and this is the book that can help us do it. All right. Okay, so God. Where do we start with God? Um, you know, I'm going to start in kind of a traditional place. Because there are three, if you go to like any church in the world and people are talking about God, they talk about three aspects of God generally. And these are the omnis that most of us can't even pronounce. In fact, watch me, we'll see if I can even pronounce them. The idea of omnipresence, the idea of omniscience, and the idea of omnipotence. All right, now, big words, I know. We're going to take them one at a time. The first one is omnipresence, and this one I'm going to need some help from the audience on. What I would like is some brave soul that would come forward and represent the very center of our solar system, the sun. Would someone like to play the sun here today? Come on up, don't be shy. Okay, thanks, Karen. All right, you're going to be this. She says, first I agree to things, and then he gets the toilet paper out. Yeah, I know, I know. What can I say? That's how you got to work it. you got to get him to agree. So you're going to be the sun. You're going to be the sun right here in the middle of the solar system. And you might be saying, now why on earth is he doing this? I think that none of us have a very good idea of how big and powerful God is. 
And if we even only just consider our own solar system in terms of accompanying God, I think that will at least give us a leg up on it. Now, who would like to represent the Earth? Come on. Come on, somebody. Okay, Suki? All right. So the way I'm going to do this, obviously, if this were to scale we'd have a problem, right? <laughs> so what I'm going to do is represent the diff, the dist, one astronomical unit, which is the distance between the sun and Suki, the earth, in, in one yard. So Suki, if you'd like to stand just right about there, that'll be a yard, okay? And now I'm going to have to get my cheat sheet here to go on with the rest of the solar system. I got this all written down because I'm not the best at memorizing. Now, who would like to represent Mars, the god of war? Okay, all right, all right. Brave woman. Usually when I say that, it's like the god of war. <laughs> all right, so there you go. And you might want to know where you are then. Believe it or not, you are just about 10 inches away from the earth on this scale. It's not very far at all. So you're, you're like right about there. So, so far the solar system doesn't seem that big, does it? All right, next up we have Jupiter. Now we know Jupiter's quite a bit further away because there that, there's that whole asteroid belt that got blown up or whatever where a planet used to be. So who'd like to be Jupiter? Okay, come on, Pat. You be Jupiter. And, and as you can imagine, we've got a ways to go here with Jupiter because of that hole left where the asteroid belt is. So you're going to be just right about here. If you can stand there. All right, now let's take another leap. Um, and I'm doing this in homage to the ex-planet of Pluto. <laughs> I suppose you've heard that Pluto got demoted, right? Most of us were raised as Pluto as the last planet, and who knew? Apparently, it's out so far that it doesn't even really cir circulate the sun properly, and so it got demoted. But who would like to, to be Pluto here? Do we have a brave soul to be Pluto? Okay. Now, Helen, I got bad news for you. Because Pluto actually, whoa, is out there quite a ways. But why don't I let you represent Pluto sort of right where you are? But to be honest, Pluto would need to be uh, about 119 feet from the sun in our measurement here. And so, well, no, you're fine here. But, but again, if we wanted to, to go with our ratios here, Helen would actually probably need to be in the bookstore or maybe even, maybe even in the mechanic shop next door. So let's not, no, 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 that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Okay, now who would like to represent Alpha Centauri, the, the nearest star to us? Do we have a volunteer for, okay, okay, all right. Now, w w just a minute though, just a minute, just a minute, because I need to make sure you have gas in your car. Yes, it's true. Using this same methodology we're using here, if star was going to be our nearest star, oh, I love it, yeah, that's why you stood up, you devil. All right, we would be talking about 152 miles of toilet paper. All right, all right, well, okay. So everybody can sit down. I, th I think you can see what this is like. And... Now, any guesses as to how much TP we would need if we were going to go to the nearest galaxy? Just any wild guesses? Five rolls. Five rolls? Okay. No, 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 no. If only it were true. 
We would need more TP than has ever been invented or ever will be invented. And I can say this with pretty, cl- pretty much clarity because we would need 1,017,005,889 miles of TP. Okay, now you might say, all right, but we still, okay, but at least we can kind of, I mean, we're putting this in perspective. That's, but you know what? That's not the universe yet. That's the closest galaxy. So you might ask me, all right, well then how do we measure the furthest galaxy away from us? Scientists can't do that. And you want to know why? They are so far away that the light from them has not even reached us so that we could measure it yet. The universe is literally getting bigger by millions of miles like every day because it's expanding. And so literally God itself, if we want to talk about you know, omnipresence, right? That idea that God is everywhere. God is at a minimum <laughs> that we can easily measure of a billion miles in, in, in this way, assuming that an astronomical unit is, is only this far. I mean, basically, you can't really wrap your mind around it. You can use any kind of, you know, analogies or techniques you want. And when it finally gets down to estimating how big God is, how big the universe is, you almost can't do it. I mean, I doubt that we really can sense it, even if we can come up with the numbers anyway. Now, you might ask, why is this important? Why is it important that we use up a roll of paper? And the reason I want to do that is, if something is this big, how can we say that it is self-aware? How can we say that it is always present? How can we get on with the other omnis? We had two other omnis, which is omniscience, which means all-seeing or all-wise, and omnipotence, all-powerful. And this leads us to today's joke. (laughs) All right. The children were lined up in the cafeteria of a Catholic elementary school for lunch. At the head of the table was a large pile of apples. A nun was standing by, by the apple tray, telling the kids, Take only one. God is watching. (laughs) Moving further along the lunch line, at the other end of the table, however, was a large pile of chocolate chip cookies. One child whispered to another, Take all you want. I heard that God is watching the apples. All right, but, is, but i got to ask you now, is that our idea of God? This universe is big, right? And it would be very foolish of us to think that we're, we've got the only apples or the only chocolate chip cookies in the universe, right? I mean, whether you're a science fiction fan or not, even the, the most, um, I would say, conservative scientists will tell you that in the universe there is other life such as our own. And any kind of a God that I would want to be involved with certainly will recognize the hearts and the minds of creatures wherever they are. So, so I ask you, do we really believe in the idea of omniscience? Do we really believe that God not only is present everywhere, but is aware Is God maybe on Alpha Century watching the apples while meanwhile we're here? Because many religions believe, honestly, that the world was kind of created in seven days maybe or or however long it was created. And then God kind of just went, okay, I'm done. 
and maybe just kind of secreted God's self away somewhere. And usually in this picture of the universe, it's kind of a, maybe a, a kind of a male looking figure that maybe went out golfing instead of paying attention, right? <laughs> and I got to tell you, this is a very common idea of what God is like. And it is dangerous for us because it implies, right, that God may not be there always for us. And so the reason I do the toilet paper, the reason that it's important for us to recognize not only how big the universe is, but also how present the universe is, is because the universe is God. And that's one of the fundamental teachings in religious science. It's the fundamental teachings in the first chapter of this beautiful book that we're embarking upon. And that simply is that God is all there is. God not only covers the universe, if you will, it's not only God's beat (laughs) to cover the universe, but God is the universe. And so that's why when you hear practitioners praying up on the platform, so often you'll hear things like, God is all there is. God is every person, every place, everything, every situation. It's trying to get our hands around this fullness that is God and the fact that God is present in every heart as well. Because if you think about it, right, if God is present everywhere, wouldn't it be a little strange to say, oh, but, you know, not here, of course, right? That whole idea of worthless, you know, worthless who am I kind of thing. We throw that out in the science of mind. We absolutely know that that same spark of divinity that is out in the universe, in the cosmos, that lights up the sun, that keeps Alpha Centauri burning so bright, that same light, that same creative spark, it's absolutely right here in our hearts and our minds as well. It's the fundamental teachings of the science of mind is that not only is God without, but God is right here, absolutely right here. And so we may be tempted to think of these vast, enormous distances that I was, think, that I was talking about as as somehow isolating to us or making us small. And certainly in the scheme of the universe, we're barely maybe a speck, right? But we are a God speck. And the same power that created the universe is here for us. The same intelligence that created the universe is here for us. The same beauty, the same wisdom, the same love with which the universe was created and kept spinning and kept evolving, that is here as us, in us, and through us 24 hours a day and seven days a week. This is the nature of God. This is the nature of us as individualized centers of God itself. And so in the science of mind, we believe that there is one intelligence, one power, and we are like a subset of it. Have you ever seen those? um, Sometimes you can see them in import stores, and I think they originated in Russia, but they're those little nesting dolls that one little wooden doll is inside another one, and when you pull it apart, there's another one inside it and another one inside it. Well, you might think of the universe as that biggest doll, that biggest wooden doll, and then you maybe unleash another one and the consciousness within it is is maybe the consciousness of this earth and then you pull another one apart and inside it is another subset the consciousness maybe of the people living in the United States and then so on and so on until the smallest little wooden doll would be like our own personal subconscious so so we're still part of the larger 
And yet we have our own ability, our own freedom to choose, our own expression of God's nature out in the world. That, at least to me, is how I think of God. All right, now on to the second concept we're going to talk about today, which is omniscience, that idea of all-seeing and all-wise. And that one maybe is a little simpler, if you will, because we've talked about distance, but what about time? God is also everything that has been, everything that is right now, and everything that will be. And so once we get our arms around that, of course it makes sense that all of the wisdom of the universe is also available to God. And why this is important, why this is important to us as individuals, is it means that there is no problem, no issue, no circumstance that God has not already worked out. If nothing else, it's been worked out in the future as pertaining to what's going on right now. Now, okay, now I'm getting a little science fiction-y again. But really, to God, past, present, and future are really all the same. In In a sense, there's only the present moment just as it unfolds. And so from that perspective, God always ultimately has the perfect right answers to any situations as they present themselves. And we, as an identifiable source of God's spirit, right, that, that small doll within the larger doll that is God, we absolutely have access to it. We might call it intuition. We might call it that gut feeling. We may call it just uh, you know, our, our, our own ability to just to know what's going on in our bodies and in our affairs. But I assure you, we can tap into that wisdom that is spirit itself in our daily life to bring about great solutions to any problems, great patterns and choices to make in any set of circumstances. Okay, last but not least, just the omnipotence of God. So omnipotence, all-powerful. Well, this one is probably the easiest of all, because i got to tell you, if God created this universe, that whole idea of the Big Bang that set all of these planets and stars and galaxies in motion, if God can do that, is there anything outside of the purview of this creator? And I suggest not. I suggest God is all-powerful and that he created everything that we can see and touch and taste and feel and is acting as a permanent co-creator with us as our own thoughts and ideas, as we hold firm to them, as we reinforce them. God uses that as a vehicle for outpicturing in the world the very world itself as it's unfolding. And we're going to talk a lot more about that next time. But clearly, the power that is God is really without any kind of conceivable limit that I can think of, and it is here for us at all times. It's available to us. So those are the three omnis, and I want to spend one more minute talking about why perhaps it's important that we do get our arms around God. I mean, this maybe was an interesting science experiment. It's it's maybe interesting to talk about the three omnis, but what does that mean for me personally? I think what it means for us personally is that we tend to picture our own lives as a subset of what God is like. And if our idea of God is small, then we're smaller yet. If our idea of God is judgmental or, or that the guy in the sky that went off golfing kind of set things in motion and said, good luck, 
then I think that what we're saying about our own lives is that it also is a little bit on shaky ground, that we can't count on the people and the situations and, and God itself to be there when we need Him. So as we portray God, I think we also define ourselves. If God judges, then we will find ourselves as a point of judgment. If God punishes, now another, uh, another very you know, straightforward picture of God out in the world is one of the punisher, right? It's like if, if your people messed up with her people, you know, there'll be a good flood or something to clear things out here after a bit. That idea of both punishing a group of people or, or punishing individuals for sins that they have committed, if this is our idea of God, then again, what that spells for us is that level of judgment, that level of punishment, both for ourselves and people that we hold dear to us in our own lives, because we're going to be embracing that sense of what the divine is. And if we are a subset of the divine, then our picture of God, whatever it might be, is going to be outpicturing in our own lives. It's, we certainly can't imagine our own lives to be any better than the divine life, right? And so if the divine life is punishing, if the divine life is judging, if the divine life is, is somehow cruel, we're spelling it out for ourselves. That is what our own lives are going to be like. Okay. The last reason I think that this conversation about God is so timely and so important is, the, again, back to the first omni, it's like, in a way, who cares how big the universe is? But what we can always fall back on is that God is also right here and right now. We don't have to worry about that idea that God is watching the apples over there when I'm at the cookie table. God is always, always, always available to us because we are actually a seat, if you will, of God. There is that gem of the divine, that spark of perfection that is always with us. Always, so, You know, and it's interesting because I remember um, a, a previous speaker said, well, you know, God is in each one of us, but not like a raisin in a bun. And, I, and it's funny because I have had people actually come up to me and said, so you always talk about God being within. So, like, where would that be? <laughs> and, you know, that's a good question. And I wonder sometimes, because we think of our creative self probably as being up here in our head, but I wonder sometimes if it isn't our heart that perhaps at least is where we can feel God the most clearly. So I don't know. That one I open up for your own impressions of, of how God lives inside us. But I absolutely know it's there. When I look out in this room, what do I see but God? Every face, every single one is God looking right back at me, full of power, full of beauty, full of potential, full of that creative force of the universe that cannot be denied, can't be put off, even when we're feeling like our lives are a little bit in disarray. What I know is that that still, small voice of God is there for guidance. It's there to help us make the best possible decisions. It's there now and then to help us just get out of the way, right? And let good things happen. So this is the absolute truth of who we are. And how I'd like to close today, so you might think, well, Larry, it's interesting that you read the preface, and now I'm going to do something even stranger. Did you, can you imagine there's something before the preface? 
So what I'd like you to uh, just to listen to is how Ernest Holmes actually starts the book, even before um, Gene Houston's lovely preface. He simply says, Peace be unto thee, stranger. Enter and be not afraid. I have left the gate open, and thou art welcome in my home. There is room in my house for all. I have swept the hearth and lighted the fire. The room is warm and cheerful, and you will find comfort and rest within. The table is laid, and the fruits of life are spread before thee. The wine is here also. See how it sparkles in the light. I have set a chair for you where the sunbeams dance through the shade. Sit. Sit and rest and refresh your soul. Eat of the fruit and drink the wine. All. All is yours, and you are welcome. So let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this thing that I call God, and we know that God is truly everything. It is the sun and the stars and the planets and the galaxies, and more importantly, it's right in this room. It is the hearts and the minds, the souls, if you will, of every single person here and beyond. This is the true nature of God. And I know it for me, and I know it without question for the people gathered here today, that there is a powerful force of life, of love, of beauty, of joy, of peace, of whatever you are called to experience in this world. It is in full force, and it is in your heart and in your mind, in your soul, right in this moment, because God is present. And I'm simply grateful for this awareness, grateful to be aware of the jihugicness of God, grateful to be aware of the infinite personalness of God at the same time. And so with a loving heart, I just release this prayer into that activity and action of the, of the law itself, knowing that it is good. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. So thank you very much.